So thank you, Lord, for this morning. Just a beautiful array of gifts, of encouragements, of you speaking to us. And uh, just thank you for what you're doing here with us as a community at Harbor City. We really want to just open up our hearts to you. I think of Eugene, even at the start, just encouraging us to humble ourselves before you. We want to humble ourselves. We want to submit ourselves to you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So just from my side, well done everyone for fasting. Um, I know a lot of us fasted this week. Fasting's difficult, which you probably experienced um, some of it. Um, fasting's good, you probably experienced some of that as well. Fasting can make you grumpy, which we've uh, heard about that. And... Uh, I'm glad it isn't just us who had uh, some difficulties during fasting, so bless you guys for sharing. But I, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's really been a good week. I've, I was so encouraged by people being on Zoom, uh, people being in life group, uh, people coming to prayer, uh, even while we knew there was going to be load shedding and that, just people really s- trying to engage with God, which was really, really encouraging. So, uh, well done. Well done to everyone. I know four days was a stretch. Um, we probably should have started everyone in two days after not doing this for a long time. But hey, why do two when you can do four? Like, that's my philosophy, eh? So, good. Well done. Good job, everyone. Um, but I want to, essentially what I want to say this morning is one thing. I think there's just one thing I really want to leave us with this morning. And that is this, that the fullness of life, the fullness of life is only found in one place. And that is in Jesus. And I think even after fasting, this is particularly important to say because sometimes what happens is we find something that may be difficult, but it, in the end is good. And then we, we're like, oh my, this is a revelation. I feel great after fasting. This is my new thing. I'm gonna fast regularly. And then what we can do is we can put like all our expectations on the way to live the good life is to do it through fasting. If that is your view, shame, (laughs) but well done. Um, But all the intermittent fasting people, I I love it, you get those videos on on YouTube and you get them on Instagram. I love it, you get that guy who's there and he looks like he exercises every day and his hair just looks like he's conditioned it three times a day. And uh, I mean, he's just telling you, he's like, if you drink kombucha (laughs) and do intermittent fasting, you can live like me. And you're like, wow, that's not gonna happen. But, but you know, there, there is a temptation to attribute certain, like, certain things that we do to, like, this is how I'm gonna live the good life. I'm gonna live the good life by this new exercise program. I'm gonna live the, new, the good life by this new Thing, fasting or whatever it is. There's a temptation, even for us as Christians, as we have certain experiences that seem to promote 
our own spiritual vitality, there's this temptation that we run into that we now, this is gonna be our thing. And instead of realizing that it is Jesus who is the source of our life, we begin to put all our effort into fasting or, you know, this latest book that we've read or Sabbath keeping or whatever it may be. But this morning, I wanna remind ourselves why Jesus is the source of our life. Now, the reality is, is probably all of us know this to varying degrees, but we recognize that there's something wrong with this world and something wrong with our lives. I mean, we, we live in the era of activism, so I think all of us know that there's something wrong with this world, whether it's Greta Thunberg constantly reminding us about the need for climate change, whether it's movements like Black Lives Matter constantly reminding us of the, the brokenness in our society and the racism that's so prevalent, like we recognize that there is something wrong within this world. And you probably recognize that there's something wrong even in your own life. Um, Our tendency to move from thing to thing, uh, to try and fix some of our holes or to get us towards the good life, recognizes that there is something wrong. Whether it's like, you know, in days gone by when uh, Henry Ford invented the car and Jack Kerouac wrote the book, The Road, and we're like, the journey, you know, life is a journey. Let's travel, we're gonna do this, we're gonna live our lives as a journey. And then there's a hippie movement, and then there's a sexual revolution. And then, I mean, who can forget like five years ago, the rise and like the be all of minimalism. We're like, let's get rid of everything except for seven items of clothing and this and that. Or Charles Duhigg writes about habits and James Clear and all of a sudden now, you know, we've gone from this thing and now we're gonna live the habit life, you know? Um, We're gonna work on our habits. Or, I mean, whether it's a, a philosophy, just think of all the different exercise programs. I remember when I was growing up, my mom was into like calisthenics however you pronounce it. But like, like that was a thing. Who even does that anymore? Um, but then there's yoga, there's CrossFit, there's cycling. Like how did cycling become a, such a big thing and people spending like more money than my house on a bicycle, like crazy. Um, you know, and then there's diets, banting. You know, who remembers banting? You don't even see banting on a menu anymore. Like, woohoo, that crash to paleo, to veganism, as we've said, to intermittent fasting. There's all these things that we run to that we change from thing to thing. And the reason why we change so often is because it's just not filling the void that is in our own lives. So, you know, this diet isn't doing it for me. I need something better. This uh, way of life isn't doing it for me. I need something better. This exercise program, I, I need something better. And we do that. We move from this to that, to medication, to food. Even in fasting, you realize how much, I don't know if any of you did, but I realize this, how much I use food to regulate my moods. Yeah. So you're just like, I'm feeling down. 
like I need food right now. Just give me a donut or or something. I know you guys are healthier. Some people are thinking carrots, things like that. <laughs> My mind is not as sanctified as yours. I think donuts. So, um, but I realize like how much I use food for for you know to regulate my myself or some of us use our gurus so you know we go to our gurus I think of the rise of someone like Jordan Peterson you know we how are we going to regulate our lives you know oh, 12 steps for you know sit up stand up straight or whatever his thing is to the rise of someone like Andrew Tate how is that oak even like become popular um, I don't even know, but like we go from like person to person, thing to thing, uh, to try and help us get out of our own self, our own challenges, our own problems. What Paul does in Colossians is Paul reminds us, Paul challenges us, Paul encourages us that all of these things just won't solve that problem. They don't solve our greatest need. So Paul in in the beginning of Colossians 2 says, you know, some of you are trying, you know, going after specific ways of wisdom. He goes on into to talk about people searching for like spiritual experiences, angels, things like that, to goes on at the end of chapter two, talk about some, you know, going, into like aesthetic religious practices, you know, like the very disciplined, um, self-denying life, um, et cetera. And each time as he goes from these different methods that we use to, wow, use, that we use to try and solve some of these problems uh, in our lives. What Paul is saying is he's like, don't, Get caught up in these things because the true source of life is Christ. Jesus alone is the true source of our lives. Um, in this passage that Ixo read, it talks about God reconciling all things to himself. So the the reality is this, is that there is a brokenness in our world and that brokenness comes, we read in Genesis chapter two and three, God creates the world, he creates um, Adam and Eve as as we know the story goes, Uh, he creates humanity, he creates an environment where there is health and work and uh, uh, people are are living in harmony with creation. They're living in harmony with each other. They're living in harmony with God. The enemy, the devil comes along and is like, "Mm," you know, which I I guess is how we all get tempted in some way. It's like, "Mm, is this enough? Is this, do you have enough? Is your life enough, you know? Um, You know, you can be like God, you know, like what are you doing? You're just like human beings now. Like if you eat this fruit, you know, you can elevate yourself. You can become more than you are. God has already said to them that they are created in the image of God. They already are like God in some ways. But now the devil's like tempting them and saying, oh, is this enough? He's tempting them. And they give in to that. 
They become dissatisfied. They begin to value something more than God and what God has given them. And uh, God says to them, do not eat of this fruit. If you do, you will surely die. And then what happens is death and brokenness enters into humanity. Death and brokenness enters into humanity. And the rest of the story of the Bible is the story of the brokenness of humanity. What we see is Adam and Eve's first uh, you know, uh, son, Cain, is, is himself a product of that brokenness. He murders his brother. There's already from the one fracture, the fracturing of man and God becomes this fracture in humanity. There's a brokenness in the world that comes. There's a brokenness in their own lives. Sin enters the world. Sin, which is essentially at its root, putting anything in our lives above God. Brokenness enters the world and we ourselves living here in South Africa, country with the highest inequality in the world, a country with just mind-blowing unemployment, with us struggling with issues of crime and racism and all the different dynamics that we face day after day, understand how brokenness has seeped into every aspect of humanity. How it's seeped into our own hearts. I don't know about you, but if God had to like just put on these screens like my own heart, I think I would like die a million deaths, you know, be so ashamed of what goes on in my own heart. Like the reality is, is that in every one of us, there is the evidences of how sin has broken, not just every part of society, but broken us as well. Now, like I said, the way that we try and solve that brokenness is through a whole bunch of different things. Some of us, we try and uh, you know, suppress the brokenness through eating. Some of us try and solve the brokenness uh, through activism and living very disciplined lives. Some of us try and, and do it through exercise and working, overworking, and you know, we can just go on and on and all these m things that we use to try and solve some of those things. But the good news of Colossians, in the book of Colossians, the good news of the story of God is that God is and has reconciled all things to himself. He is the one who is redeeming, fixing, reconciling the brokenness in humanity and in you and I. And um, I wanna just give us three quick points. I, I know it's a bit of a later morning, so I won't labor these too long. But three quick points on why Jesus really needs to be at 
the source of our life. Um, and the three quick points is that Jesus is God's plan. God's plan to solve the issues in the world. Jesus is God's presence in humanity. And Jesus is God's power to bring about reconciliation. So first point, Jesus is God's plan. Uh, It says this, not in Colossians, it says later on in the scriptures, it says, Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. I love that phrase, mind-boggling phrase. You're like, what is going on? Like, what does that mean? Jesus was slain uh, before the foundations of the world. And I can't explain all of that, but there is one thing I'm absolutely certain that that verse means, and it's this, that Jesus was not a spontaneous decision by God to solve a problem that had become out of hand. Jesus wasn't a spontaneous decision by God to solve an out of hand problem. Like he didn't all of a sudden look at the world and go, ah, problem, Jesus, go, boom, done. Like he wasn't a spontaneous decision to solve an out of hand problem problem. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus has always been and will always be God's plan for the world and for you and I. He was God's plan before the world was found. How is this life that God is gonna bring and give into the world going to be sustained? It was always Jesus. From beginning to end. Jesus and his work is God's plan always. And what we see in this uh, verse is is one of the things that I really enjoy about this passage is, is how it starts in verse nine. It says, God was pleased. Pleased. Don't you like that word? Pleased. Pleasure. We love pleasure, we love the the idea of pleasure, and we like it when someone finds pleasure in us, and when we find pleasure in people or things, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself. God was not under duress to bring salvation to humanity. He was not under duress to reconcile the world. When God looks at the broken, when he knew the brokenness was coming into the world, when he looks at the brokenness of the world, God found pleasure in bringing Christ in sending his son. The son found pleasure in laying down his life. The Holy Spirit finds pleasure in indwelling his people. God finds pleasure in reconciling all things to himself. It is God's plan. Like this is not God acting under duress. He doesn't look at us and he goes, oh my, and we're crying out and we're fasting and we're doing our thing and we're like, Lord, and he's like, you are better do something. Like, look at those people. Like, they're trying so hard. I don't know if I really like them, but they twisted my arm. Like, this is not how God works. It has been God's pleasure to bring about his purposes in the world and in our lives. The chances are, 
If, uh, and I know this is probably irrelevant for 90% of us, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the limited scope of this illustration. But the chances are, if you were a white person grown up in some sort of era during apartheid in a Calvinist home, then you would have thought that God was an angry man monitoring your life to make sure that you didn't go out of place. But the reality is, is that when the scriptures talk about salvation, they don't talk about an angry God under duress trying to save a people who he doesn't like. It talks about the pleasures of God being poured out into Christ to bring about a reconciliation of all things to himself. The reconciliation of you and I's relationship with God and the reconciliation with you and I's relationship with each other, the reconciliation with you and I's nature, uh, uh, relationship to creation and everything. God is reconciling every aspect of the world, every aspect of society, every aspect of our own hearts to himself and he does it under pleasure. He doesn't do it under duress. It is God's plan. And it is a plan that God takes pleasure in. Some of us may, in the dark moments of our lives, wonder whether God loves us, whether he accepts us, whether God would wanna save us, whether God would take any joy in us. What Paul says in the Colossians is God takes immeasurable amounts of joy. His pleasure is found in Christ and his work to bring about the reconciliation of all things. We're wondering whether we have to get our lives right I had a conversation with someone this week who said, my problem is not that I don't believe in God's grace. My problem is that I don't have any grace for myself, so I just can't believe that God would have grace for me. And the reality is, is that for some of us, that we in the darkest places of our hearts struggle with the fact that God may actually be happy because we're not happy and that God may actually desire to save you, to reconcile you, to draw you out of some of the things you're wrestling with into his glorious light and kingdom. But God does. Jesus is God's presence. Jesus was no guru. The, 
we've just had Christmas um, a month ago, and um, you know, at the heart of Christmas is is one big major theological theme, and it's this: the incarnation of Christ. It's uh, that is the heart, the essence of the Christmas message. The essence of the of the Christian liturgy around that time is to remind you ourselves year after year after year of the incarnation of Christ. And the incarnation of Christ is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It is part of the mystery of the gospel that the fullness of God is present in Christ. Jesus himself said this. If you have seen the Father, um, Philip comes and says, we want to see the Father. Jesus himself says this. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As Exo read, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Christ is, is God, fully God, and fully man. So when we see Christ, when we engage with Jesus, we are engaging with God. Um, I often hear this, and, and this is true, this is no knocking of some of these things, but, you know, the there's the temptation of like people saying this. I had a good friend and this was his favorite thing is he would say this, you know, I like to go and find God in nature. And, and he did that. He would go and hike all the time. He would, uh, um, you know, that was how he liked to engage with God. Some of us um, like to find God in routine, you know, like well-ordered lives. Um, as Eugene Peterson says, he likes to think of crying babies, of like the life of God just breaking out in, in, in every way. But the reality is, is that while God reveals himself through crea- creation, while God reveals himself through people, while God reveals himself through order and all of these things, the fullness of God only dwells in one place. In Christ, that Jesus is God's presence, God's redemption, God's life, God Himself. And that while we know Jesus is God's plan. And that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were pleased to bring about the plan through Jesus. We also know like the fullness of life is only found in Christ. While we may have these great moments of spiritualness, whether it's through fasting or different things that we've done, there is only one true source of life, and that is Christ and his gospel, the good news about Jesus. And I'll just end with this point so we can close. 
But Jesus is God's power. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the message of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God to save. Jesus is God's power. Jesus is the place in which all of reconciliation takes place. What does it say? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. The cross is the power of God to bring reconciliation of you and I and all of humanity and all of the world, things on heaven and on earth, it says. The cross is the place in which that reconciliation takes place. Don't you find it funny that Christians for 2,000 years have hung crosses in churches, put them up on their walls. Someone, I don't know if anyone's got one here, but like a cross on your, on your chain or uh, somewhere. Like, don't you find it funny that we use a Roman method of execution as like the symbol of the Christian faith? Like, it seems pretty gruesome. Like, hey, look at my cross. Love you, love you. Like Roman method of execution. It's like putting an electric chair, you know, on, <laughs> on your ears. It's, it, like, it seems absolutely absurd. But there's a reason. Because for 2,000 years, Christians in every place of the world have believed that in the cross of Christ, because of what Jesus did and accomplished on the cross of Christ, reconciliation and life is breaking out through this means of execution. Like through Christ and his execution, through the cross of Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. For 2,000 years, Christians have hung this up on their walls, have put it in their churches, have uh, worn it on their bodies, have tattooed it on their skin. Christians have done this because they've believed with Paul that the cross of Christ is the place of reconciliation. That the work of Christ... that the work of God bringing all things to himself, dealing with the problems in the world happens in Jesus' death on the cross. Tom Wright or N.T. Wright says this, he says, all evil is to be destroyed through the cosmic outworking of the crucifixion. Jesus on the cross takes the brokenness and the sin and the every word we can use of humanity. He takes it on himself. 
to bring about reconciliation of all things. You and I, your estrangement with God and mine, your sin and mine, taken on Christ on the cross to reconcile us to God. There's a reason why this is so big. You see, if, if you are gonna use your diet to solve your problems or your exercise program or your work, or the reality is, is that whatever thing you are using is going to become a master of you. It's gonna demand more of you. So, you know, whether it's banting, now you need to be more disciplined. You, whether it's work, you're like, you've gone from one level to now you need to do more and more and more. And what happens is this thing that you hope is going to fix the void inside of you becomes like a sl slave owner to you. You now have to just do more and more and more and more to try and fill that void. Jesus is so different. He doesn't demand, he gives. Jesus didn't ask for your unwavering allegiance. He came and gave his unwavering love. Jesus didn't come, God's plan wasn't for Jesus to come with a whip to make sure that you and I keep in line. His plan was that the generosity of God would be given on the cross. Jesus hasn't come demanding that you would give your life in every way. Jesus came and gave his life completely and fully. If we put our hope in fasting, if we put our hope in food, if we put our hope in exercise, if we put our hope in work, if we put our hope in moving out of Durban to somewhere else, if we put our hope in a new government, if we put our hope in this or that, at the end, we'll be left with a void as more and more is demanded of us to try and solve that problem. But God in his pleasure, in his pleasure, sends his son. God in his pleasure comes into, uh, as theologians say, God condescends himself by walking in the shoes of humanity, by walking in the brokenness of the world. And then not through force ruling it, but through love dying for it. For me, during this fast, I've been reminded, I've been encouraged, I've been stirred that God wants to remind ourselves that Jesus is our only hope. I don't know where you're trying to find your source of life right now. But there is an immeasurable, uncontainable, endless source of life found 
in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Christ came into the world for you and I, took on himself all of our brokenness, and God willingly laid down himself. You know the thing about reconciliation South Africa have tried to do this. Think of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Think how so many of those things were botched. Think of how hard and difficult that is. Or just think of that one person that you can't talk to right now. You realize like how hard reconciliation is. How hard it is to be the first person to go and say sorry. You know this in marriage, if you are married, if you're not probably in other relationships you've you've experienced this. But you know, it's so hard to reconcile sometimes. It's humbling, it's difficult, it requires sorry and change and this and that. Like reconciliation. The amazing thing about the gospel is that God's never asked us to take the first step. In fact, he hasn't asked us to take any step. He has condescended himself. He, the one who is wronged, comes in to our lives by his grace. He comes into our brokenness by his grace. He comes into the mess of our lives by his grace. He reconciles us to himself, takes a step, moves toward us, dies on the cross. So that all who believe in him will be able to experience life that is the fullness of life. Can I pray for us? Maybe we can just close our eyes. Um, I'm not sure if anyone feels like they need to respond, but I feel like we just need to pray before we close. Um, Maybe there's one or two of us that this morning, we feel like we need to respond. We feel like our lives have been trying to fix the brokenness of our lives through other ways, fix the brokenness of the world through many different things. But God, this morning is inviting you to have faith in Christ. He's drawing you to himself. And I wanna pray for us this morning. Not asking anyone to respond, but I'm just asking if that is you, just to open your heart and um, I'm gonna pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray this morning, maybe one, two, three, four, maybe multiple of us have come here this morning and the reality of our lives is that we've been trying to seek for life outside of you. It feels like our lives have been a perpetual journey of seeking for life outside of you. But I pray, Lord, that this morning you will open up our hearts towards you. 
you would draw us to yourself, that our minds would be open, our hearts would be stirred, and that our faith would rise, that we would give ourselves to you, Lord. Think of how you say repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Change your mind, change your direction. Uh, rethink which, the way you've been living. And I, I pray for us that we would repent. We would change our minds and change the direction of our lives and rethink how we've been living and we would uh, turn our gaze and our focus to you. And I thank you that you, Jesus, in you is the fullness of life. In you, the fullness of God dwells. In you, Christ, we experience the pleasure of God to bring all of creation to himself. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be fixed on you, focused on you, stirred by you, our hearts enriched by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless everyone. Sorry that the service was a bit longer than usual, um, but I hope you have a really good Sunday and a good week, and we'll be back here next Sunday. Don't forget Silent Saturday.